everyone, and welcome to The Shelf Warmers, the podcast about toys and how they impact our lives. I'm your host, Darby Hearn. And I'm Sugu. And on today's show, we're going to talk about Lego, and we're going to talk specifically about this fantastic new heartbreaking, wallet-breaking set that they've announced, which is the Daily Bugle. I believe this is the one of the largest, if not the largest, um, Lego sets that they've done, certainly within the context of the uh, Marvel Comics universe. And this is a 32-inch tall Lego Daily Bugle, sort of not a skyscraper, but... Uh, That's even larger than my Transformer. Yeah, it's very large. It's it's everything about it is big, including the price, which is three hundred dollars. Um, we'll dig into the details of it, but I thought today we could talk about this in terms of one talking about Lego in general, which we wanted to do on the podcast here a little bit, uh, collecting, and then how we perceive value because there's a lot of inherent value in this set which makes it appealing to someone like me who isn't um a lego collector but i think also in terms of just how we sort of approach collecting uh the value to us personally uh, as is why and why this is appealing just not just to collectors but maybe even dare i say speculators because i've already seen actually three hundred dollars this set I've already seen people uh, anticipating this set eventually going for a lot of money, which they tend to do on Lego. Um, you know, your uh, older sort of box sets. Um, so we'll get. Let's get into it. Let's let's talk about it. Um, again, I'm Darby Harn. I'm a freelance writer for websites like Screen Rant, CDR, Star Wars Newsnet. I am part of the Movie Newsnet podcast, uh, where I talk about film, TV, movies all that good stuff. Um, and I'm also the author of The Right Fiction. I'm the author of several novels, including Ever the Hero, and my forthcoming book, Country of Eternal Light, out on June 4. And my name is Sugu. I uh, do stuff. <laughs> don't, don't we all? Uh, I mainly collect Transformers, and I dabble in a bit of Marvel Legends. Uh, I currently live in japan i'm i sometimes dabble in writing uh darby and i met through a writing program but i've since kind of um searching for my story to tell shall we say yeah we talked about writing on the pod last week and we really enjoyed that we thought this week let's kind of get back to just toys because lego dropped this monster on folks coming out on june 1st they just announced it what a week ago ish um and this is the daily bugle and this is fascinating because as as um folks who are listening to the pod and we appreciate you uh have uh, noticed we're huge marvel comics nerds um this is from this is the daily bugle from marvel comics uh as opposed to the mcu nevertheless this thing is fascinating basically what it is and we'll share a link to the um the Lego site uh, in the pod so people can see this if they haven't already. Um, it's basically the, uh, it's a little bit of a skyscraper. Again, it's about 32 inches tall. And it comes with um, 24 uh, minifigures, which is essentially more or less the entire roster <laughs> of the Spider-Man universe in terms of your heavy hitters. Uh, 
heroes, villains. You got your major villains. You got your major side characters. Um, and you got Miles. You got Gwen. Um, and you also have Daredevil and Punisher, for God's sakes. And yes, yeah, so you got some major sort of associates, right? Some some allies. Uh, this is what one of the things that makes this set so appealing is that my interest in Lego. I don't collect Lego at all because of this reason here, which one, it's expensive. It's huge. Down that road lies disaster, right? You just, <laughs> you can't do it. Uh, so I have, and I have a few, I have a Jawa and et cetera. There was a Jawa, a little Jawa set a couple years ago, like 10, $12 that I bought. There was a sand crawler several years ago. I was living in Ireland at the time. Uh, that was like three, $400. And while amazing, truly amazing, I, I, I had to pass on that. And the same way that I'm probably going to pass on this, but I'm extremely tempted because of the figure aspect, which is the thing I'm most into. I, I love Legos, but sort of the, the Lego, the, the, you know, the process of building them, putting them together, that thing doesn't interest me so much as just the figures the the figures are difficult and expensive because they're included only in these these sets. Um, if you're were someone like me and you wanted just a, a an instant starter kit of Spider Man action figures, the the price on this set I think is probably justified in getting what twenty four of these. What do you think about this, Sugu? This is insane. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, for what it is, three hundred might actually not be that expensive at all. Um, it's not really for relative example, to what you're getting. Yeah, like for, for example, they're one to one to twelve scale Ferrari. I think it is. I think it's one to twelve. Anyway, it's their large Ferrari model. Um, it's like a good four hundred dollars, and it's a significantly less part count than this um you know part of that is the the licensing for ferrari itself which is quite an expensive license sure um the other thing too i mean one thing that i thought was interesting and this might be a movie versus the comic book but i thought that the daily bugle was supposed to be the Flatiron building it was in the uh sam raimi uh movies wasn't Uh, it okay all right um so that was sort of just a yeah one a movie interpretation okay so in terms of the set itself, I mean, if we take out the 24, which I didn't know it was 24, the good, good on you for counting. Um, it's actually 25. It, I, I just, I'm looking here at the website. It's 25. All right. Uh, if you take out those figures, you're left with kind of just a squarish structure, right? <laughs> Which I'm not knocking at all because it still is impressive as all hell, especially 32 inches. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's kind of interesting. Uh, One thing for me that I find fascinating with Lego of today compared with the Lego sets that we grew up with is these sets are so much more intricate and kind of designed to be built in one way. Whereas the Lego sets that that I, I that I had, I distinctly remember, the instruction set was definitely more of like, kind of like, 
they had to include it just because they needed yeah. to, but yeah. you were not expected to pay attention to the instruction set. That's Whereas a good point, yeah. This thing, I don't think, can function without an instruction set. It's a huge shift in uh, how Legos are have uh, the approach to Legos since I was a kid. So Legos consistently going back to the 60s when they were first appeared, basically the use your own imagination set. That's the whole thing, the brick, yeah. the modular. Um, that remains true, but what's changed is the licensing. And so as they've gotten into licensing, which began with them in 1999 with the Phantom Menace, uh, Star Wars uh, Episode One was their first foray into licensed product. Was it really? It was. Yeah, this was a this that that uh, move was monumental on their part. First license anything they ever did, um, and then now I just to my eye because I'm not a Lego collector. You go into the Lego aisle, Target or Walmart, and licensing represents about 60, 70% of their offerings, right? Yeah, and the it seems to me um, when it's not licensed stuff like this, because this uses their their standard blocks, right? Yeah. But the so stuff that isn't licensed are Lego original property, but mm-hmm. those are specialty sets like the Lego Knights or the Bionicles or something yeah. like that, where that uses a very specialized set of blocks that are compatible in or compatible by definition only with the original play sets. But you really can't do a whole lot of uh, interactivity with between the two. It's um, yeah. There, I know less about those. There, there are some like Ninjago and things like that that they do that that seem also very uh, individualized. I have a set of Lego Knights. Yeah, it's this is uh, this is super interesting in terms of just how they approach things. That aspect of the creativity and the imagination is sort of gone out of it at least as it appears on the surface um and then it's because it's replaced to a fidelity to the source material and so here this is the daily interpretation of the building the has obviously been interpreted different ways in the comics and in in uh, other media but um when it comes to things like star wars for certain which i i much more attention to um there is a a lot of um you know, it's basically the toy. So you're building the vehicle, the Millennium Falcon, what have you. Mm-hmm. And I just noticing here real quick um, on the figures, there's a figure that's missing. You've got figures that are incredible. Firestar, they included Firestar. But no, no Iceman. Well, no Iceman, but there's no Mary Jane. Oh, really? There's no Mary Jane. They got Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Oh, wow. There's that's no Mary a Jane. huge oversight. I feel personally for my $300 that I should get a Mary Jane uh, figure, especially when I'm getting all these other dynamite. I mean, got, I got Betty Brant here who you could not do the daily bugle and not do Betty Brant, but um, mm, I don't know. That's sort of <laughs> Well, they throw the whole thing out. It's not worth it anymore. <laughs> yep. All right. That's today's episode folks. Um, but yeah, that that's a little bit of a problem there, but anyway, um, yeah, the, the the imagination part of it's super interesting because I, I think just for kids, 
I'd be curious to know what really sort of younger folks because the Legos are super popular with the kids. I wonder if that sort of factors into it or if they don't even care if they just get a hold of their Legos and they just start mashing up stuff like kids do. So, uh, I mean, my perspective over here working with kids is that, um, the kids are still very much into Lego because it's very tactile, but yes, then yeah. as they, uh, discover video games they get into minecraft minecraft yes yeah, this so this is uh the these blocky little dudes uh i don't know anything about minecraft i am as the kids say a dinosaur so i don't know oh i had to learn about, about minecraft it. because of my students yeah i even bought the i even bought the game just so i could play For it really? so i could understand what they're dealing with oh and what they're talking I, about yeah, not not super familiar. I know what it, I know of it, but I, I don't know what it is. But this is yeah, Lego is fascinating because I've always been I've always loved the Legos. Going back to those first Phantom Menace sets, I did buy they did do a bike a, a set with the Biker Scout and the speeder bike for five bucks or something back in '99, which I did buy, and that was the only Lego I bought forever until whenever they did the Jawa, and. Um, the uh, that took a long time uh, to get a hold of Jawa. The Jawa Forever was fairly rare among um, getting him individually because they were these figures go for. I remember I was at a comic book convention, a Comic Con in Chicago. This might have been 2010, 11, somewhere in there, been 10 years or so. Uh, it was around the time the Jawa's Sail Barge uh, Lego set came out, so whenever that was. And they were selling some of the individual figures uh, from that set, Max Rebo in particular, $50, $60 a piece. And that's not uncommon because these figures, what happens is you get folks like me who just really want the figures. The figures are, are only tied to these sets. So they go for premiums. And I can see these, uh, some of these Spider-Man folks. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking specifically of your Betty Brandt and figures that are never, never gonna be made outside of this set that are gonna some people are gonna pay a lot of money for that $300 becomes more digestible uh, when you consider that if you were going to resell these figures and, and that's something I think that um, is a factor um, in today's sort of world certainly you see that everywhere um, yeah that whole in collecting everything is a commodity right like everything yeah. can be sold so yeah. you you know that people are going to buy some people are going to buy this Lego Daily Bugle set, which has 3,772 pieces, nice. 25 minifigures uh, for $300, mm -hmm. $299.99. Mm -hmm. You know they're going to buy this whole thing, chop it up into pieces, and then resell all of that to try yeah. and make their, their money back. Yeah, there's always been that with Lego, but then also just maybe to go off on a tangent a little bit like uh, it's a big problem in collecting right now because as a lot of action figure collectors will tell you particularly with store exclusives here in the states whether that's gi joe there's a he-man origins uh two-pack at target right now which may as well not exist it's keldor and trap jaw um the star wars anything star wars exclusive at target or walmart there's a set of clone wars uh, black series clone wars figures from the uh 3d animated that are exclusive to target i haven't seen them 
um but you people reading about on twitter how dudes are just you know shoving these into their cart if it i feels remember re- correctly mm-hmm. wasn't it the store exclusives that ultimately drove toy toys r us to bankruptcy in america no. Uh, not the not the exclusives. No, uh, the Toys R Us bankruptcy is primarily uh, the result of some uh, hedge fund issues <laughs> uh. Uh, that uh, were uh, very complicated. But basically, the the company was saddled with debt to a point where obviously it became untenable. But um, I thought I thought uh, store exclusives were kind of factoring into that, at least on the transformer side. Yeah, definitely, definitely not the product itself, but um, the that's an interesting thought in the sense that the, the sort of speculation that's going on right now um, is uh, very, very reminiscent to me of what happened in the early 90s with comic with trading cards. They ate that up. They burst that bubble. They moved into comics. This is around the time of death of Superman, 1992. And then they moved out of that. They moved into action figures. Uh, this would have been mid '90s. So as Star Wars returned to the action figure aisle, and that lasted for a while, it feels very reminiscent of that. I feel like these sort of that same sort of uh, current of uh, speculation is active in all of these hobbies again. Um, and that's maybe a bigger conversation we'll have at some point. But I just certainly some of the attraction I think to the Lego set, this Lego set in particular that I've seen myself online has been man, you know, there's a lot of money in this. They can flip this. I think that's certainly true. Like, this is going to be an expensive set down the line, but that's not my interest in buying it. My interest in buying it was sort of like sort of an instant collection. But Mary Jane, if you're going to do me like that, <laughs> then uh, I think that's uh, probably going to be a pass. But um, I think it's very cool. I think Legos in general are very cool. The figures, I, I, if, if they were affordable, if they were available, uh, if you could buy them individually, I would just buy the shit out of them. But they're not. They're not because Hasbro won't allow anybody else to sell individual Star Wars figures. Um, so that's why Lego's figures are uh, all tied to their sets. With the exception of some, there are some licenses. I think I want to say Batman did some individual minifigures uh, recently. But um, to be honest, I can't recall the last time I saw the figures themselves being able to be sold like i think yeah. I, I always see as like a the blocks to build something and then the figure is kind of thrown in it's pretty rare yeah they do they've done uh here and there they've done runs of sort of blind bags they do their own sort of lego universe mm-hmm. series and just a little poly bag and then there was a batman around the time they did the lego batman movie there was a series of uh, Batman uh, figures that you could do, um, but anything tied to Hasbro. So your Marvel and Star Wars is they're never going to sell those individually because of the way that the license is structured, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame because I think, like I said, I would just buy these endlessly if I could just get my hands on the actual figures. Um, Cause I love them. I'd love Lego. I love the aesthetic. Um, there's a great Legos in this great intersection of toys there's the cute factor, which I think gets all the Funko people. They were Funko before Funko. There's the play factor, which I think is unique to them, certainly, and, and the form factor. But I think today, in today's toys, these are actual toys as opposed to what maybe other people are doing. And then there's the pop culture appeal, which is your Star Wars and your Marvel. Uh, DC, to a lesser extent. I hate to be harsh, but um, 
your those Star Wars and Marvel uh, occupy a big chunk of the Lego aisle, and um, people love them. You know, and there's all di- different kinds of there's your traditional construction sets, and now they're doing these things like they I, what would you call them statues, sort of art pieces. There's like these you know they're framed art that you build out of Legos. You know, um, it's it. There's a lot of different. They're sort of experimenting. It's really interesting. Um, I mean, I live very, very close to a Lego land out here. Oh, nice. And uh, to say, symbolize it, maybe to kind of have an extra advertisement. Uh, there's a giant Lego figure outside, like a build a figure outside of uh, the Lego land store. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I can't go into the Lego land store. Why is that? I'm an adult. They, they, don't allow, allow, like, they don't allow adults to go in by themselves. Uh, adults are relegated to it. Well, before the pandemic, it was, uh, I think it was Wednesday night from oh, 8 man. to 8.15. Adults <laughs> were allowed to go in. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I think I would probably just go home and curl up in bed and... <laughs> humiliated and ashamed at my ancientness not being allowed into the lego store jeez i mean to be fair or to be clear adults are always allowed in the store in the legoland part adults are not allowed until wednesday night from yeah 8 to 8 15 <laughs> okay i got you so the store is okay it's the actual you, lego you can okay. always buy stuff right you can always okay. spend yeah. your money. Oh yeah, don't take your money. Um, okay, but the Lego Land, yeah. Okay, I guess even that though. That's a, that's ageist. I have to be honest. I have to keep it one hundred. But uh, I suppose it would be awkward if you were just if you were me, <laughs> right around on yourself. Or however Lego Land works, I've actually never been. Me I've neither. Seen one. I have. I've seen. <laughs> There's probably a reason we're probably making too much of this. Uh, there's, there was one at Mall of America or something that, uh, that I saw, I didn't, I didn't, I think they have like theme park rides or something like that. Um, that was years ago though. Um, in the before times, um, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I, it's been the last Lego store I was in was in Times Square of all places. It's a couple of years ago in the city in New York and, um, I went in because I was curious about, I figured this has got to be off the chain, you know, Lego, Lego wise. It was fairly modest comparison to my, my expectations. Um, but uh, probably not a play if you're, uh, as we're going back into uh, traveling and things like that, uh, Times Square in general, and certainly the, the Lego store in Times Square is probably a place you don't want to be unless you have to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. There was um uh gosh maybe 9 years ago now. Uh there was a Lego exhibit uh mm-hmm. over here that I went to with a friend and it was just like these adult I I guess adult Lego collectors but they were um they were building these amazing statues and monuments of nice. 
everything like using a thousand bricks and just it was crazy the stuff that they were they were making it was amazing mm-hmm. um but that was you know a special art exhibit there's yeah there, there's a lot of cool stuff that people do with legos that's super inventive and, and we should say adults do too as far as the imagination aspect of it um there's extraordinary amount of creativity that goes into legos and people do their own legos they even sort of print i think it's printing when it comes to the figures the the figures themselves the sort of the the bodies are the blocks but they're they're usually stickers printed stickers it seems like to me uh to the sort of individual details um so you got people doing their own stickers at home they're making their own custom figures things like that painting them that stuff's really cool. There's a lot of that with the Star Wars because there always is with Star Wars. You're creating your own droids and dudes and things like that. But um, the Marvel's interesting because uh, it's such a big world, such a big galaxy. And I do like some of their figures. They do sort of Legos figures are usually all the same size with the exception of certain characters. Thanos, uh, the Hulk and the Lego sets are like two, three times the size. Really? You know? I yeah, know they're kind of they're kind of fun. Yeah, I guess it makes uh, sense, but yeah. I yeah. Um, so I always like looking at them. I was looking at the Shang-Chi. Uh, there's a Shang-Chi Lego set, which includes a major spoiler. So folks at home, if you're out there and you're looking at that, don't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I enjoy them. I, but I, as far as collecting them, I just, I, I can't, you know can't do it can't justify it um in terms of the 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 price you're pretty limited on your options we've talked about this before you know you get into you kind of have to pick a lane when it comes to collecting at least and lego is just it's definitely its own lane it's its own highway so uh you try to avoid it but um some of them i have to have i do have a jawa might have one or two others floating around somewhere but um that's it that's that's all i can do you know are you ever attracted to these, Sigu? Like, yeah, I need one of these. Uh, yeah. So, it, it I'm kind of the same thing. Like, I I like the idea of Lego, and I'd like to. I don't know. Part of me wants to get like a set of Lego, but mm-hmm. I don't want to make the time to kind of play and build with it, mm-hmm. and just kind of because I'd be. I would be going into the details of it and doing it slowly and methodically. Mm. Um, And I don't really have an interest in building the instructions. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd much rather take the Lego pieces and see what I can make out of them. Um, That being said, uh, someone got me or not someone, a friend uh, way back in 2003, 2004, maybe 2005 uh got me a lego knights i think i mentioned it earlier in the in the podcast these lego knights were kind of strange uh i guess i can share a picture of what they look like but basically it doesn't come in a box it comes in a plastic container that's supposed to look like a a castle turret and, oh yeah i kind of remember these yeah yeah inside were all the the pieces to make uh, a knight and there were I guess there were five in total Lego Knights. I'm, I'm looking at the page right now. That's why I'm mm-hmm. 
uh, can tell us off of memory because that was a long time ago. Mm. Uh, and I got, so a friend got me one and then just to kind of complete the collection, I bought the rest of them over time. Uh, so I still have them. And that's about all. I have them. They're neither a great part of my collection and they're not a bad part of my collection, right? Like the one that he got me, that's great. Mm-hmm. And that has that kind of connection, right? Like that kind of uh, sentimental connection to it. But the others I just bought to be a completionist. And since then, I'm no longer a completionist. Um in yeah, terms of these things. So that's uh, yeah, it's in it, it's impossible. Well, it's not impossible to be a completist with Lego, but um, it's expensive. We'll put it that way. Um, and I would it's say like, it's actually almost impossible to be a completionist because uh, one of the things that you and I were talking about before mm-hmm. we started the podcast is Lego is one of the few toys that are completely compatible with all of the Lego. So even the ones True. dating back to the 60s are still compatible with the ones that you can buy now. That's very true. Like you can, if, if you have these sets, um, which used to be, you know, so growing up, I felt like your, your average Lego set, I remember in particular the Spaceman one, which was the most interest to me as a kid, would have been late 70s, early 80s, somewhere in there. But um that's sort of you know you can all these sort of intermix um and you can do kind of whatever you want with them you can create your own little universe or whatever enormous a sense of value there you know created perceived value we were also kind of talking about before the podcast the sort of the idea of value and i I think there's there's tremendous value here we we sort of mentioned at the top that this is a 300 set this is a very expensive toy the daily bugle it's not sort of outrageous in line with sort of what's going on in general in toys. There's a lot of very expensive toys. Uh, Hasbro through HasLab is doing some very expensive items recently. The Razor Crest was $350. Your Sentinel Marvel Legends was $350. They're gearing up. Unicron. <laughs> Unicron. Um, Marvel Legends is gearing up to do another massive HasLab here in, uh, I believe, August or September. It's going to be related to the Fantastic Four. Oh, I wonder really? who that could be. Galactus? Um, <laughs> one assumes. We'll see, right? Because they um, already did a Galactus Build-A-Figure, right? They did Which one in the, so, in the Toy Biz era of um, Marvel Legends. This is the early 2000s. And they did both the Sentinel and the Gal- and Galactus, which were very huge and very both still very good toys. Um, this is the uh, 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four in 2021. And the sort of the scuttlebutt is, is that later this fall, there's going to be a fairly massive uh, Fantastic Four push from from Hasbro, which is going to include this this HasLab figure. I assume it's Galactus. And I assume that um, it'll be just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that it'll just be a massive version of Galactus and sort of your Kirby sort of Galactus, you know, that sort of truly uh, megalithic version. Um, With the huge purples veins on his helmet. Yeah, and hopefully his little chariot too. Um, that'd be kind of cool. I, I would hope at that, oh, at what right. I imagine the price that, you know, his sort of, I imagine 350 will be the price. Um, 
So this Daily Bugle, the $300 set is not out of line with in current sort of big scale toys. It's certainly not that um, Lego has done these huge sets before, certainly with Star Wars, there was a sand crawler there that I, I think I mentioned earlier um, uh, that was, I want to say $400, $500, somewhere in that neighborhood. There was a Death Star recent years as well, similarly. That Very was expensive. the one that uh, they built instead of the Spider-Man movie. Uh, yes, that that Ned and Pete were uh, building yeah. and dropped uh, in their bed in uh, Peter's bedroom uh, at, in the movie uh, Homecoming. Um, so it's not crazy, but it's like it's, it's, and the three hundred dollars relative to what you're getting, I think, is pretty good. But it's all about that idea of perceived value and like what do you bring what's valuable to you like you know i was super excited about this i i, I thought about it daily bugle uh, i see that there's no mary jane perceived <laughs> value goes down you know <laughs> so but yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. you know i was noticing looking at the picture i mean look at first off the figure for dr octopus is just you know a standard figure but if you look at him in the playset, what they did is pretty cool. And if you look at Firestar as yeah, well. Yeah, Firestar is really cool. Um, I find it interesting that they included her, but not Iceman. Someone um, commented that on the Twitter feed as well. It's sort of like, you know, why? But, you know. Um, but, yeah, you get, you get most... Uh, a lot of spidey villains and you get some of the classics of course and then um you get some heroes you get some allies i should say and um and you get get the spider buggy the spider buggy which is really cool you know classic sort of bit of 1970s marvel trivia and also just pure schlock but the spider buggy um, and then there's like a cab. There's a taxi cab. Um, this is a very great set in terms, you know, there's a lot of um, intricacy to it. And so it's 32 inches tall. There's, I want to say four or five levels to it. Um, there's different sort of arrangements. Uh, that's all modular as well. Um, but you get you get a lot of villains. You get a lot of the heroes. You got Spider-Ham, for Christ's sake. I mean... <laughs> You know, you got, like I said, you got Gwen, you got Miles, um, Daredevil, Blade. You got the Daily Bugle staff, which I think is the, for diehard Spider-Man folks, I would say is probably the real appeal here. Um, yeah, because you probably won't get a Ben Urick, Robbie Robertson in any other set. No, this is, I mean, this is tremendous. And um but if you're someone like me who is just sort of thinking, you know, sort of kick off a massive sort of little Spider-Man Lego collection, it's a great place to start. Even Mary Jane, notwithstanding, it, it's a great place to start. Um, uh, but that's yeah. But it's all about that perceived value. Like, what what's the most appealing thing to you? What value does it hold? Like, the problem is with this is you'd buy something like this. It'd be the instant centerpiece of a collection. Well, you would need a collection then to build around it. Um, you know, in terms of uh, the sort of that that sort of Marvel thing. So you kind of have to stay away. So I I can I could do Star Wars toys. I can do some Marvel Legends. I I can't do Legos. Um, but 
they're very cool um and very sort of um i like this idea i like the idea of sort of the the sort of centerpiece set and instant sort of collection if they did for example the x mansion in this format with similar load of figures you know that'd be tough man <laughs> that'd be tough but they'd screw you there too they'd leave somebody else out you know somebody important they'd leave like kitty out or something and you'd be like i'm out but so it just hey, depends. You're, take, you're taking that mary jane thing harsh i mean you have to i mean let's be honest let's keep it 100 for a minute um if you're going to do something like this what you're going to do is basically sort of a cornerstone spider-man uh project a toy in your collection and you leave out mary jane you're going to do everybody but mary jane um that's a meeting i, I feel like uh somebody should have had i don't know what happened there there's some notes uh, maybe <laughs> that got overlooked i think you know, you, this is a sort of a mini Spider-Man universe, and uh, a Spider-Man universe that doesn't include Mary Jane is incomplete. Although, so. like, what's I I don't know for myself, but what's going on in the comics? It seems to me that ever since um, the Amazing Spider-Man, they're trying to build up Gwen Stacy more. They are building up Gwen. There's so there's two. So I'll back up because there's two questions there. So Spider-Man and Mary Jane, what's going on with them in the comics? Um, it's been a mess. We might have talked about this uh, at one point. I think we did when we were talking about Spider-Man and collecting. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot going on with Spider-Man and Mary Jane. That's been a mess going back to one more day, which was early 2000s which revised comic book history so that they were never married. Those two characters have never been the same absolute disaster. Um, but they're basically, um, they're in various states of sort of flirting. They're together. They're not together. It's, it's very, it's not cool. I mean, uh, the, the reality in comic world is Mary Jane is such a fixture for Spider-Man. Yeah. Why are they trying to get rid of her? Why are they trying to uh, downplay her? Oh God! Here we go. Um, so the, <laughs> the 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 impetus for this for one okay, we'll go back to one more day, and the editorial decision to split them up goes back to the the deep dislike on the part of the editorial team at the time, which was led by Joe Caseta, editor in chief. Uh, that they the strong belief that Peter Parker should not be married and he should not be an adult. He should be a young teenager because he wasn't fun. And so they split them up in this idea to sort of revert Peter Parker back to type. Whatever their ambition was in terms of trying to do that, they failed utterly and miserably because his stories in the last 15 years have not been anything along the lines of what they intended and they've been a series of really just as i mentioned in the podcast where we talked about spider-man in particular he's just stranded between they don't know what they want to do with him there's a sort of sense to to take him back to his roots the x-men are victims of this too in, a, in one sense um but that was to due to the fox licensing no not so much there's a this is a bigger topic in terms of um these two particular brands, these two particular characters, and that they want to 
they want to go back to the glory days because the glory days were great. But then there's another impulse, which is to take the characters forward into sort of a more quote unquote mature modern take that most people confuse for grim and gritty or sex or things like that. Grim and gritty, sex, all that stuff, your sort of adult quote unquote themes don't really apply to Spider-Man. They don't. There, there's versions of Spider-Man, I think you could do it, but when they've tried to do it, and I'm thinking specifically of a story in which there was an alternate universe, an alternate future history in which Mary Jane died because she got cancer from Peter Parker's radioactive semen. Yep. I remember that awkwardness. Um, it's, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> It's horrible and dumb and uh, all of it. Um, so he's sort of stranded in this place between we want to go back to that classic sort of Peter that we knew and we want to, they, they do want to take him forward. Mary Jane and her relationship as a casualty of that. Um, for my, you know, if you look at Superman, Superman and Lois have been married in the comics for setting DC's uh, continuity hiccups aside uh, for about the last 30 years and their status quo is they're married and they have a kid, Jonathan, who is uh, become Superboy. That seems to work in the comics. You know, um, I don't think, I don't think there's any problem with having a Spider-Man and Mary Jane and who are married. Um, I think Miles fills some of the role of sort of the youthful kid Spider-Man that people want. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I remember uh, when we were talking about that Spider-Man podcast, I was saying that I am okay with retiring Peter Parker and having it be Miles Morales for this upcoming generation, right? Like, I'm okay with the, the passing of the torch. Yeah, I, I think there's a passing of the torch story you could do. I don't think you need to retire Peter. I think what they did in the Spider-Verse movie, where the idea of Peter is sort of the older mentor... I like that. I mean, that worked really well in the movie. I think that could work in the comic books too. There's no reason why there's no reason to, to sort of um, that they can't have an older, more mature Peter who's sort of in a more adult role. Yeah. When that, I say it, retire, I don't mean like kill the, kill the line or anything like that. I just mean simply like Miles Morales is the focal point of the Spider-Man stories. Yeah, I, I don't think, and I, I and like I said then, then I don't think you're going to have a situation where Peter's ever going to be um, not the focus. Yeah. Um, just given where Marvel's at with their branding, <laughs> like there, it's just it's just never going to happen. I don't think I could be wrong about that, but um, no, he, he is far too iconic. That's definitely true. Yeah, he he's worth. A, you know a fortune and sort of the merchandising and things like that and and, and just his his, uh, his appeal as a character um is too great i think to ever sort of sideline him mm -hmm. but then th that said i mean i feel like they've they creatively sidelined him um you know for a long time now and this they've dislocated mary jane from sort of his this mary narrative and um of his life and that's a shame even though for most people like us so you the root of your question was is where are they at in the comics because what's going on because i expect mary jane to be in the set well why is that when she's not sort of in that sort of uh she's not 
big part of his life necessarily in the comics well it's because for most people my age group certainly grew up with spider-man she hit she was i mean she she always will be because she's sort of that um she's in the center position you see that in the movies whenever they make the movies even though the the concept of it may shift a bit um she's she's you know she's it so yeah it's um it, it's curious um i would i think i would i'd be i would have liked to have been a fly in the walnut room at lego when they were like yeah we don't need mary jane um <laughs> this set will sell just fine which you know they that. have a point it will yeah but uh, they got Gwen in there, and you had mentioned, you know, Gwen has sort of uh, risen back into prominence. Um, that is a big part, obviously, to do with the Spider Gwen thing, which was one of, which a happy accident, which she sort of, that was a, an alternate universe take on the character that exploded. She's rushed back into the forefront after having been basically, you know, obviously she passed, she died in famous famous storyline back in the 70s and then she was she was out of it she wasn't a factor in the comics books for years um years and years so I, I, they are making a much bigger deal out of her um you're gonna start to see her in the movies as we go forward in terms of the spider gwen mm-hmm. um that version of her um Which, to I be fair, that would be kind of a cool uh addition kind of a cool take in the in the movies you know You've got Spider-Man, then Spider-Gwen just kind of showing up. That, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Spider-Gwen in the MCU uh, before too long. Um, you're, sev- you're definitely going to see her in um, the future Spider-Verse movies, and I imagine they'll just be a Spider-Gwen s- solo movie Yeah. Uh, at some point. But um, Wait, so are they making in uh, Spider-Verse 2? Mm-hmm. yeah really and that's either it's either next year or the year after it comes out so they're doing it now um but uh so that's gonna be awesome i love that movie i love all these characters so i'm not i'm not too upset about any of that stuff it's just sort of um the approach to peter and uh that whole thing it just doesn't really work and i think it's just a product of uh he's sort of trapped between this sort of need to have him be the character he was and, and, and wanting more for him from him and not being able to translate that the success of the MCU, Peter Parker, I think is a testament to how valuable the teenage Peter Parker is. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, well, I if think I remember correctly, that's mm-hmm. part of the licensing as well. Um, is that Marvel in selling Spider-Man to Sony uh, part of it was Spider-Man must always be Peter Parker. Peter Parker must be white and must be a high school student. In terms of the Sony agreement? I think so. I don't know about that. Um, I think that if that was the case, that's it's, it obviously is no more in terms of Sony. Sony is very, very interested in expanding the Spider-Verse in general. Um, you're going to see that here. The as Spider-Verse, the, but Peter Parker. Oh, you mean in terms of the actual character? Yeah, yeah. Um, that I don't know. Um, you know, I think we're going to find out here. You know, I, I think I. this is an interesting conversation. I didn't expect to talk about this today, but th- this happens, right? <laughs> so 
I personally don't expect there to be. So there, there's a lot of uh, diversification obviously going on in Hollywood and in these characters. So you're seeing a lot of characters, traditionally white um, and male in some cases, characters, superhero genre uh, portrayed by uh, people of color. Um, th the biggest example coming up here is this uh, Superman movie, which is in development, um, being written by Todd Nahasi Coates and the um, produced by J.J. Abrams, director Uncertain. This is going to, is said to feature an African-American Superman. It's going to be Kel-El. This is not going to be a, a different version of Superman. There have been a, a few different um, Elseworld sort of oh, okay. uh, black Superman in the comics. DC this is Kel and their multiverses. And, and yeah, this is Kel-El. Um, I don't think there's a lot of conversation, as you can imagine, around that. Um, I don't think, though, that with Peter, given the presence of Miles, given the presence of Gwen, that you would see uh, an African-American or uh, Hispanic or let's say what, what have you um, version of Peter. I think Peter will be Peter. And then for folks who are looking for a more representative version of Spider-Man, it just so happens that we have a couple different ones, you know, in the form of Miles, in the form of Gwen. And there's there's. I don't even know the whole Spider-Verse concept is the <laughs> fact that there's endless Spider-Men and Spider-Women. So that's interesting. Yeah. I did not say it could never happen, but I, I would be surprised at this stage given kind of where they're at, but yeah. that's a whole, that's a whole thing with what's kind of, you know, um, maybe while we're talking about it, what do you think of this idea uh, Sugu, of the, the black Superman, this movie that's coming up? Oh, I'm looking forward to it uh, for yeah. so many reasons. I think yeah. it'd be an amazing take. One, for all the reasons that Falcon, it works as Captain America, right? Like all the the issues that yeah. that uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier brought up, I think is fantastic to convert into a DC universe. Um, number two, Ta-Nehisi Coates is a fantastic writer uh, for stuff like this. So yeah. I think that he's going to uh i think he's gonna make a good story um regardless jj abrams meh i'm a bit meh about him <laughs> but i'm not gonna dunk on him it's just meh uh and then who did they <laughs> cast for superman uh no casting yet the scuttlebutt has been uh michael b jordan who has expressed interest in the past and um playing superman i don't know where that is that's just sort of rumored but um there are some candidates here of you know people that sort of leap to mind he's certainly one i think someone like john boyega uh there, there's so many um ways that they could go with it that i think are fascinating um I, I, I'm really looking forward to it too. I'm looking forward to it for a few different reasons. One is certainly Ta-Nehisi Coates, who I decided being a great writer of a lot of interesting journalism and, and fiction. Um, he's the author of several books of The Water Dancer, Between the World and Me. He's also the author 
of a couple of great fantastic runs in the comic books uh, he's been behind the black panther comic book run for the last several years and also captain america the black uh, panther one is this alternate sci-fi future right like where oh my god it's, it's just like it's so off the rails if you're not prepared for it, it it's truly fascinating uh t'challa basically gets transported into the sort of cosmic version of the wakanda wakandan empire and it's just it's really it's really good it's it's just great comic book fun sort of classic sort of sci-fi jack uh kirby stanley fun and then as always with ta-nehisi coates uh social commentary and so i expect that from the superman movie i expect this would be a superman movie that acknowledges that this is a black man uh growing up in kansas yeah um and and as you said with falcon and winter soldier in the way that that in the mcu acknowledged finally on those issues within the context of the mcu i expect this movie to do the same with dc there's a lot of varying opinion on that from a lot of different people uh, there's some people who don't want that who don't want a black superman for reasons that it, um I, I don't necessarily need to get into i've seen some commentary from uh african-american sources um i'm thinking specifically of blurred without fear who is one of my favorite youtubers uh, african-american comic book nerd who doesn't want a black superman he would prefer uh, just a, a black hero who and of their own right of their own you know individual i think that's interesting and um so i can just say this real quickly i hear that a lot um well you know for a minority just make your own character right like and that's all fine and good but those characters are made they're also not promoted very much they're also not uh funded as much they don't have this uh advanced marketing that goes into them so those characters are always going to stay in small circles so when people say stuff like that like oh you know uh they should just make their own character well those characters are made those are made first um as artists make as artists create their own worlds right based on the stuff that they know um you know for example look at look at you and your and your <laughs> writing and your novels you're yes. writing you're writing a, a series because that's the stuff that you want to read that you're not seeing elsewhere yes so um ever that's the hero. yeah yeah so that's what's happening as well but people don't see that it's a survivorship bias Yes, people don't see every hero. Um, so. Well, I didn't mean that specifically. I meant like coming back to the. No, I know. Um, I yeah, I have lots of thoughts about it. I'm very interested in everybody's thoughts. We're getting away from Lego, but um, hopefully, folks, you're into this um, because this is an interesting conversation. Just in terms of. Um, we're not getting away from Lego. We're talking about uh, imagination and value and, I, and what you bring to and what you're saying, Sugu, basically, is that there are folks who um, who invest an enormous amount of imagination in African-American superheroes. So let's take one of the, I would say, the most major African-American creator uh, created African-American heroes. And this is the, the, the roster from Milestone Media. So uh, Dwayne McDuffie, and those guys um, in uh, early 90s, 91, 92, 
created their own imprint within underneath the DC umbrella uh, of uh, uh, Static, Icon, Rocket. Uh, oh God, I'm forgetting. There's there's a whole group. Uh, I'm forgetting some of them, um, which were the first proper sort of African-American superhero universe. Um, and then um, they dealt with Icon in particular, when people talk about the idea of a black Superman, Icon was a black Superman because he was basically the Superman trope, the Superman character, mm -hmm. and a really interesting play on the Superman mythos. But he was an African American man. Well, he was an alien who just happened to land on Earth in the guise of an African American man. Um, and then, um, but as you said, to Milestone Media, eventually it didn't work out. Um, it was bought out uh, by DC. Those characters all belong now to DC Comics. DC has made a push here just in the last year or so to push them back to the forefront, which is definitely appreciated. There's a static uh, movie in development also being produced by Michael B. Jordan. Um, and then uh, there's some other stuff. So I... Yeah, let's let's promote that. Let's have DC promote that because those are great characters. And that that's a great concept, and I would love to see the Static movie. I would love to see Icon. I would love to see Rocket. Hardware is the other one I was blanking on a moment ago. Um, I would love to see those, and then so I get that where people are coming from. That they want to see original characters. Um, as you said, though, are they going to push it the way that they would a Superman? And then you have folks who maybe they're like, well, we don't want soup. We don't want Spider-Man. We don't want a black Batman. We want our own characters. Um, and then there are people. So as I was saying a moment ago, I want to see if they do African-American Superman, I want to see them acknowledge the reality of what it'd be like to be an Af African-American man living in America. There are people black and white who don't want to see that. They, they don't want that intrusion of, the real on the fantastic they want something that's aspirational they want a world in which that that racism that prejudice that violence doesn't exist i completely get that and and so do i like you know one thing i'm i can definitely understand is just this fatigue of every single uh media that that uh showcases minorities always has to deal with the trauma of being a minority the trauma you know and it's, and like, this is a litmus test for like that's the only definition of uh the racial you know like racial identity is it's traumatic racial or, gender gender uh, sexual sex. identity yeah. um this like, is a huge subject that is we that you know we'll, we'll maybe take up a different time but that i that concept in art and in publishing which i know more about in terms of specifically that there, there's a lot of that well this isn't traumatic enough this isn't yeah. real enough because there's no trauma as and, if that's the bar you have to clear right and that's one of the great things about uh black panther is it it wasn't traumatic it was here is afrofuturism and it was vastly mm -hmm. exactly. uh different and it was for me anyway it was interesting and it was exciting to see because it was it was minority focused but not trauma focused 
Yeah, it's a completely aspirational. There, there's, there was, a, there was a fair amount of a uh, reference to sort of real world issues and problems in Black Panther, um, specifically as it related to Killmonger's past. But the, the the very concept of Wakanda, the very concept of Black Panther is aspirational. There's people that want that as opposed to a reflection of the the trauma and the strife. And and I completely get that. In my own writing, as you mentioned there before, I don't, those are always scales I'm trying to balance between characters who are, there's a lot of diversity in the cast. Uh, Kit Baldwin, she's the main character of the series, uh, African-American woman. Um, you know, especially coming from my perspective um, as a white guy, um, where do you, you know, I, I want to reflect a world that's positive and inclusive and is aspirational. And, but I'm also very interested in the real. I'm also very interested in, you know, I might've mentioned last time in our conversation about writing the sort of, I love the, I love the interplay between the real and the fantastic. Those are all things you have to consider. You have to consider them very carefully and very heavily. And especially when you're coming from my background, you have to be even more considerate um so those are all questions that i think we all have as creators right now in every mode you know uh film books comics as we consider these things is we want to reflect the world that we live in it's diverse it's rich there's all these different people and aspects of life and then what what do you focus on what do you favor you know what where, where are you leaning you know um that's that's a fascinating conversation i think the the this upcoming superman movie falls right into the middle of all that Mm -hmm. you know um because i think no matter what what they do i have no doubt whatsoever it'll be a really good movie it's going to disappoint some people just by virtue of what it doesn't do right which is fine uh i mean yeah for me my opinion is with such a large franchise as superman like that's a huge property right yeah if you're going to take on something as big as race it should be addressed it shouldn't be just be aspirational it shouldn't just kind of gloss over and pretend that it's all fine and good it, it should address it just like falcon um yeah. But one thing too, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I also get very tired of hearing people say things like, well, I just want to watch a movie just to be entertained. Oh, what? (laughs) Like, uh, I I don't know. I do not understand that that point of view in general. Uh, And I know that that's me. Like, that's not a judgment on people who say that. That's just... For me, I don't understand that. You, like, we don't understand why people want to be entertained. <laughs> well, solely entertained. That they don't want to... Because, like, I look at it from a point of people who create the art, people who create in the media, they're doing it because they have something to say. I mean, that's why sure. you create. Even if it, it... Like, I'm not saying something... It has to be deep or profound or anything like that, but you have something that you want to say. 
Superman does not exist in the real world. So people who use Superman as a vehicle to tell a story, they have something to say. Um, and same thing with Star Wars, same thing with Transformers, same thing with every fictional franchise and non-fictional franchise as well, or non-fictional property as well. Um, so people who say, well, I just want to be entertained. It, it feels to me like you're doing a disservice to the, to the creator or creators. Um, it, that depends, I think entirely on the on creative intent in which you don't always, you're not always sure of. Um, I think there's a lot of creative people in film and in literature who really just want to tell a story and they don't really, there's nothing in particular they want to say. But and that's some still of them are, telling a story, right? Like they're still telling something. Yeah. Well, like I said, it doesn't have to be deep or profound. It just, no, no. Yeah. They, yeah. I don't, you know, there, there are folks who very upfront about that. that they're not, they're not doing anything other than trying to entertain. Um, but I think it just depends on um, the the downside of that is you then open yourself up. If the intent is not clear, if you state that there isn't one, you open yourself up to people applying intent mm -hmm. and that then you lose control of the work. And if you're unsure in yourself and what you're trying to do, you lose control. And so things like, some of the stories we've been talking about, as I said a moment ago in my own writing, and I would hope in other people's, you, you have to be very, very considerate. <laughs> you have to be very, very conscious of what you're doing um, because the, you, your choices will be scrutinized um, and then people will apply meanings to it that, that aren't valid, but, but, can be amplified if you're unsure yourself so i don't have a concern relative to what we're talking about with superman i don't have a concern about that given ta-nehisi coats um well yeah but um in general um you know uh i think it's it's a fascinating subject you know it's 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 worth a lot of conversation you know as is just just to kind of bring back into the bring us back to lego in the sense I, I think lego is that um where we started and the, the idea of the creative aspect of lego is i think the primary reason for lego's success is that you can apply your imagination to it you can create it's, it's representative of the world right it of the world that you're buying into marvel or star wars or what have you but you could create and shape and mold in that and with all these stories, I think Superman, Spider-Man, all these characters we've been talking about, um, they're representative of things, but the, you can create and shape and mold them. People have been doing it from the beginning. Well, and that's, you Gary know, that's Siegel also... And Joel Schuster to today. Yeah, and that's also kind of the point, right? Like with Lego, you're, you're giving your own context, right? You're imbuing your context into whatever you build and mm -hmm. into whatever you make, right? But the first Lego only had yellow skinned people so that's that's true in terms of context you can only apply so much context before the medium itself doesn't allow you to take it further that's a great point it's what does the medium allow you and so lego then had in recent years 
has become more representative of the actual world. You still have the yellow brick people <laughs> who still exist primarily in their sort of non-branded sets. Um, but in the sets like this one, we've talked about David Bugle, um, there's, this is a diverse roster uh, where you have people of color uh, in all varying types. Uh, you know, Green Goblin's green, you know? So <laughs> those are all, you know, that's it, much more representative of the real world because it should be um and the white the white people are not the standard yellow so you're not making yeah. the default be, yeah the, be white right and coming yeah. back to superman that's one of the things that i like about this ta-nehisi coats potential movie right is you're broadening the context that can be applied broadening the context and it's 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 inclusive of the the greater context of superman who was is was created by um um jerry siegel and joel schuster uh back in the 1930s and uh, th these were both jewish americans as uh, jack kirby and stan lee were and um I, I think people tend to forget that uh, when we talk about diversity in comics and representation in comics, there are people who like, you know, th these stories, uh, these characters aren't the place to have these conversations. They've always been the place to have these conversations. And if, if Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster couldn't exactly tell in 1938, tell their stories in the way that they wanted to, given the, the limitations of the genre, which they invented, um, at the time, then Stanley and Jack Kirby certainly were. And Stanley, as early as 1966 and 1967, was throwing elbows into the sides of people who were telling him that, that we don't want any of these black folks in our comics. And he's like, that's not how it is. That's not how it's going to be. And um, that was a, an evolution of the form, an evolution of culture, certainly. But these characters, all these characters that we love, all these iconic worlds that we love were the pr product of people who are not always, certainly in the case of the four men I mentioned, reflective of the audience that they were primarily serving. And to the point where Stanley and Jack Kirby, Stanley Leibowitz, Jerome Kurtz, um, they had to change their names, you know, to get work, you know, that, that was just, that's how it was done back then. Um, Jerome uh, Kurtzman, I, I'm, I, I'll get Jack's name right now. I think I got it wrong. Um, but um, we need to consider that when people are like uh, Jacob Kurtzberg, I was way off in Jacob's <laughs> real name. Uh, but when people have this conversation, well, you know, that's, you know, there can't be a black Superman or they, they can't be whatever the case is. Um, there can it's super superman is superman he's you know he's really the shield he's really the icon he's really the concept of the character he's not necessarily uh what he looks like and folks have been reading comic books all our lives like you and i have we've seen other versions of superman in the comics we're not this isn't a shock this isn't a strange yeah. concept and so it shouldn't be as we get into the movies and people may people on every side of the equation may find fault with this movie may fault with find fault with the concept and that's that's fine uh you know and that's a good conversation to have and the movie can't be everything to everybody um but it's um it, and it's part of the evolution of the character 
I, yeah. I mean, you know, there's this other thing too, um, exposure theory, right? Like, uh, I, I can talk about this from an education point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was working on my um, uh, my master's in education, one of the things that the program itself said is make sure you don't show pictures of stereotypical characters. So like a female nurse or a male doctor, right? Like never show stereotypical uh, characters or Mm -hmm. pictures in your education. Mm -hmm. And I can feel all the grumblings from our audience right now about what that might mean. And to be fair, even I was just, even I was kind of pondering it for a bit too, like, you know why not like sometimes that's just reality you know you, it's reality, you have, certainly but that's exactly the point of education right is they the students get that reality they see that reality anyway in their daily life so education school context is a great way to expose them to more than reality to then make it so normal and natural as to then kind of create that social change from the ground up. You know, the more women that you show in prominent math and science fields to these students, the more you're going to encourage them to get into that and thus changing that stereotype anyway. Right, exactly. And I think the challenge is in, in the world we live in today is um, is, is to acknowledge uh, reality in every sense. And it's not to say this or that. It's to say, well, it's all of these things. It's to say what it is, um, you know, and, and that's that there are uh, whether something like, you know, what kind of roles that people play in society or, or things like that. It, it's you you have you have uh, a variety of people in a variety of roles who do, you know, and it, who do different, do different, who do the same things, but, you know, whether it's doctors, nurses, teachers, what have you. And, and it's, you know, in the comic books, Lego, whatever, the it's all the same. These are all, you know, um, they have to, they need to reflect the world that we live in. And it's, it's certainly open for debate how you want to approach that, that depiction, you know, um, in terms of like, you know, do you want to lean in the sort of the, do you want to be super real and everything that entails? Do you want to be aspirational? I think there's a big uh, argument to have about that in terms of, you know, um, some people just want that. Some people, they want a world in which, um, you know, that the it's that these people just exist. It's not questioned. It's not concerned. It's not ridiculed that there's an enormous value in that. Or more specifically, they don't want to be questioned on it. They don't want to have their viewpoint challenged. Well, I just mean, you know, in, in the um, this conversation I have with other friends of mine who are writers and authors and um, in terms of sort of LGBTQ representation, um, there are several characters in my books who are LGBTQ and, and this, the it's never question it, there's there's no with the exception of one scene in the second book there there's no acknowledgement not acknowledgement there's no uh, sort of question of, of um the validity of these people um you know of the way that they live it's just part of the world it's not this particular world that they live in is not a world in which the their their validity as people is challenged um 
and that's what I wanted. I didn't want, I, there's a political practical reality to it that I wanted to spotlight, but there's not if in, in regards to one character, but it's, it's just them as people. And so there's enormous value in that. And so we were talking about it earlier in terms of the trauma, there are people who want to depict the reality of it too. Of course that has value, but that's not always what people want. And um, you have to consider all of those things. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating conversation. We've gotten way afield from Legos. This is even what we were planning to talk about to begin with. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think it's been a good conversation because it's uh, it's uh, there's a lot uh, there's a lot to that. But um, I think we're probably kind of getting up on time. So maybe as we kind of wrap up today, we'll kind of circle back to Lego. Any other thoughts, Sugu, on on the Lego on the set or sort of Lego in general? Um, um... I don't know. Uh, I'm quite positive on Lego, even if it didn't come across this episode. <laughs> uh, oh, very, I, yeah, we, we like Lego. Yeah, I, uh, I absolutely think that what they're doing is phenomenal, and not just this Daily Bugle set, but you know, the past sixty years. I think it's yeah. been uh, something like that. Um, but also, I wanted to take a quick second and just shout out. Uh, we got some feedback from from you, the audience. Uh, think it's yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much for for the for your feedback using our our new email system. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. We will respond to it um, in a bit. Uh, stay tuned. But thank you so much for that feedback. Yeah, let them know where they can get a hold of us. All right. So. For those of you who are going, I want to get in on that action too. You can reach us at shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Um, send us your thoughts. Send us your feedback. What do you think about the the different things that we're talking about? Whether whether we're way off base, whether we're right. whether we're uh, uh, hitting a nerve, whether we we bring out some good points, just let us know. Uh, yeah, we're happy to to get the feedback and um yeah keep yeah it if, coming if you're if you're unhappy with the uh, hard left out of lego into uh all things superman um let us know but no we do in all honesty we appreciate the feedback it means a lot um because it's uh you know we'd love that people take something away from we got some great feedback uh, you know here in the past about the show and the people find value in it, which is amazing because we're just kind of, we're just kind of riffing on uh, subjects that we, we love. Zack Snyder, which I have to say, you know what I want? Cause uh, that'll be another derail. I'll avoid that. We're going to try and keep it on the track here as we wrap up, but uh, we dig the, we dig the Lego. Uh, we dig your feedback. Uh, let us know. Yeah. Let us know what you think. And um uh maybe it also if there's anything folks want to hear about a particular subject in terms of collecting too uh you know we're definitely open to suggestions um you know uh, send them along send us your thoughts um so maybe we'll kind of leave it there for today we had a really good conversation unexpected that those are the best kind of conversations they kind of they travel and flow and um so you can find me if you're interested in, in my work or any of the stuff we've been talking about. You can find me on my website, DarbyHarn.com. I mean, there's more information about my books there and also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. 
And as always, you can just reach me through now through our shellformers at gmail.com. Absolutely. So once again, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for going on that long scenic detour uh, through the episode today. And um, if you can get vaccinated, uh, wear a mask if you can and uh, stay safe. See you next time.